Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Grace City Church. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the brothers that uh, serves and helps out here, along with my dear wife, Kayla. Um, we lead one of the life groups. Uh, and just as Matt said, I'm going to take this as like a secondary plug. If you're not involved in a life group, please do yourself a favor. Get involved. I know our group meets just around the corner on Wednesdays. We'd be more than happy to host. Oh, hi, sweetheart. Oh, this is what it feels like to be rich. Okay. I feel bad because there's a lot of pressure, obviously, on me this morning as I preach, but I think there's more pressure on my wife uh, to somehow corral our sweet daughter and keep her, keep her somewhat at bay. She's definitely got the harder job this morning. <laughs> Can you tell? Well, again, welcome, everybody. Uh, as I said, uh, please get involved in a life group. If you're new here, um, great to see you. Here at Grace City, uh, we believe in what's called the authority of Scripture. That means that we just believe that the Bible is true. We believe what it says about us. We believe what it says about God. And so uh, 99% of Sunday mornings, except for the 27th, you will see us open up the Bible and unpack it and try to examine what that says for us, uh, how that's relevant today. Uh, and so today's no different. If you're new, we are in the book of Mark. If you're not new, you must already know that we are in the book of Mark, I hope, at least. Otherwise, you clearly have not been listening for weeks, in which case we should chat. Um, no, but we're going through the book of Mark. We'll be in this book for a little while. Um, we're still in chapter 1. This is what, week 5? Week 5, I think, in chapter 1. Week 6 in chapter 1. So if you've missed any of the messages, I'm going to encourage you, please go to gracecity.ca. Check out the messages because we're not just taking verses and saying, here's what it means. We're, we're building, right? This is, a, this is a letter or this is a narrative. This is a story written about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's building on each other. So each week is important that you, you're present, that you're hearing the message, and that you're, you're understanding the full story uh, of, the, of the, the book of Mark. Now, obviously you can see behind me, and if you've been with us, you know that we're attempting to answer the question, Jesus, is He a con or is He king? Is He really who He says He was? Or was He just a master deceiver that has fooled thousands, well, millions and millions of people for generations and generations? Um, and I'm excited to open up our text this morning because I think we're going to answer this in a pretty concise way. We're going to really kind of hammer it down. Um, but that begs another question. If, if we can answer that Jesus is... This is going to happen all the time, so I'm just going to move that. If, if He is King, that begs another question. And that is, is He a good King? Right? There's been lots of terrible, terrible kings, terrible rulers in history. Um, and just because they're King doesn't mean they're, they're worth following. Right? And so, if He is King, then we, we must then ask... Is he a good king? Is he worth it? And so we're going to unpack the message today. And any of you note takers out there, this will be uh, kind of the three points that I'll, I'll be hinging on today. And then, um, and so, yeah, if you're a note taker, those three notes are Jesus is establishing his authority over three particular realms. Jesus is showing his authority over Satan. Jesus is showing his authority over sin. And finally, Jesus is showing His authority over sinners and saints, uh, people. And so, Jesus' authority over the three realms, 
Satan, sin, and sinners and saints. I went with uh, your typical Christian alliteration just because it's easier to remember. <laughs> Obviously it works. I mean, we've been doing it for at least 50 years, so there must be something to it. Um, but before I move into that, before we, we read through the text, I just want to kind of hinge on this question of, of worth uh, because I think it's an important question, right? So if, if he's... If he's a good king, then it's worth following. If he's not a good king, then he's not worth following. If we're going to decide to follow Jesus, we must consider that, that being a part of his kingdom is worth giving up everything of our own kingdom. It's worth giving up everything in our own lives in order to know and follow and enjoy Jesus. That's a huge question. That's a, that's a massive, massive place to find ourselves. So if, if we're going to answer that question, um, then we're going to need to look in the scripture and see what it says about Jesus and whether or not we can determine uh, if he's if he's worth it. And I don't think that's a strange question for us. See, I think humanity is motivated by reward. Sounds like a strange statement, but would you agree? Any of you? By the way, uh, I love like participation. Like I love it. So if you want to throw out like a hearty amen and be like, yeah, I'm all for that. Like no one will think you're. Well, someone might think you're crazy. I can't. I can't say that. But I certainly won't, and I'll appreciate it. Um, but yeah, would you guys agree? Humanity is motivated by reward. We are value-based people. What I mean is, we we make all of our decisions, big or small, based on how we esteem value, right? So, like, say I'm eating a bag of Doritos, and you're eating a bag of rocks. It's a terrible decision. And you see me eating my, my delicious bag of Doritos, and you go, oh man, I want those Doritos. That'd be much better than this bag of rocks. So you offer a trade. Hey, I'll trade you this awesome bag of rocks for your you know, half-eaten bag of Doritos. You'll never ever convince me that that's a good trade. Why? Because I don't value rocks the same way that I do Doritos. Now just a short aside, I must have been starving when I uh, wrote this message because a bunch of my examples have to do with food. So, so bear with me. Uh, someone's going to have to invite us all over for lunch after this because I'm sure we'll all be quite hungry when we're done. All this chat about food. Anyways, the point is clear. Whether you value rocks, whether you value Doritos, you're making a decision based on how you esteem value. Now, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't think that's a wrong thing. I think that God has designed us to value certain things and to not value others and to be able to make that decision or make that distinction. Um, so I don't think it's a wrong thing. The problem is we don't always have all the information. The problem is we don't always see the, the bigger picture. And so sometimes our minds can be a little bit blurry about how we esteem value. And sometimes we don't always make the right choice about, about what's worth more than what's worth less. So let me give you another example. This is a pretty common example as well. It's another food example. So I'm at work. I'm working. I work outside uh, all summer long. Uh, I do home maintenance work and uh, home, home renovation type work. So I'm outside, I'm working, I'm lugging ladders around, I build up a huge appetite. Uh, it's supposed to be a short day, but as always, something comes up, and so now it's a really long day. I pack a small lunch, and I am ready to eat. So the day's, day's unwinding, we're almost done. I text my wife, hey sweetheart, coming home soon, just going to stop. i got to grab something to eat, because I am hungry. And she says to me, no, 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 don't stop and eat, just come straight home. So immediately I'm like, she's crazy, right? She's crazy. She doesn't understand how hungry I am. She has no idea the, the rumble in my tummy. She doesn't get how serious this is. I'm going to just completely ignore that. I'm stopping and I'm getting a couple of McDoubles. Yeah. McDoubles because they're cheap, real cheap. And they'll do the job. 
I'm not crazy about them, but they're all right. So I go, I go through the drive-thru, I order my burgers, I mow them down, and I feel great. Well, okay, I don't feel great, because nobody ever feels great after eating McDonald's, but I feel full. So the job is done, the task has been completed. So then I get home, I walk in the door, and I see that my wife has been preparing dinner all day. This is why she told me not to eat burgers. So imagine like your perfect spread, right? Like, I'm, like steak and buttered vegetables, and, or a home-baked lasagna with some salads, some fresh bread and butter, glass of wine, like the whole nine. So what's happened here? The problem is I didn't have all the information. The problem is I didn't have the big picture. Clearly, I should not have esteemed greasy, sad McDoubles as more valuable than a home-baked lasagna. That was a poor decision, right? I think we can all agree. Okay, I was like, do you guys really like McDoubles? Do you really prefer a McDouble over home-baked lasagna? Easy to feed, I guess. Anywho, so the, the problem is clearly that I, I, I didn't have all the information. I didn't esteem things correctly. Now, I think this is the case for us today, but not just us. This is the case for all of humanity. You see, without all of the information, without the big picture, we settle. We settle. And we often, worse yet, we often view God's instruction for our life as getting in the way or standing in the way of our joy. Right? My wife said, don't stop and get a cheeseburger. And I thought, she's nuts. She was trying to protect me from settling, right? And so, so the problem that we're dealing with is we're not, we're not understanding everything and we need, we need a big picture. In order to appropriately esteem value where it should go, we need to have all the information. So, let's read through our passage today again in Mark chapter 1. We're going to be going through verses 12 through 20. If you've got a Bible, open up. It's on the latter half of the Bible. It's the first, in the first section of the New Testament, if you're very new to the Bible. And we're in verses 12 through 20 in chapter 1 today. Alright, it's behind me. Perfect. So we'll read through this. And then I'll, I'll just pray briefly, and then we'll, we'll kind of unpack the bigger picture. We'll, we'll see if we can gain a bit more information so that we can appropriately esteem value, put value where it should go. So let's read together. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested... Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you so much for your, your word this morning. I thank you, God, that you have revealed yourself plainly and clearly in the Bible. And that through these pages, we can grow into a deeper understanding of who you are, uh, what you've come to accomplish, 
and how that affects our lives today. Father, I pray that you would uh, anoint my lips this morning to communicate your truth. And I pray, Lord, that you'd be doing a work in, in the hearts of everybody here this morning. That you would be helping us to apply this message to our lives. To see the areas of our lives that, uh, that would benefit from, from applying the truth of Scripture today. Lord, I, I know that only you can accomplish the work of transforming lives. Um, but you have given us the privilege of playing a role in that through the preaching of the word. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning, through the preached word, through the, through the musical worship, through the entire service, Lord, that hearts would be transformed and that you would be magnified. And we ask this in your holy name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Alright, so as, I, as I've been saying, we're, we're discussing the question of value, but we're discussing the question of value as it relates to Jesus being a king or not. And so up to this point, we've been kind of begging the question or asking the question, is Jesus king or is he con? Is he really who he says he was or is this a big lie? Now, as I said, I'm excited to go through our passage because I think we're just going to hammer it out. We're going to have a pretty decisive answer at the end of it. And we can move forward. So as I said as well earlier, the three kind of areas that I think that Mark is going to show that Jesus really is king are by establishing his rule over Satan, over sin, and over sinners and saints. So let's take a look at the first section here. The temptation, Christ ruling over Satan. This will be in verses 12 and 13. I'll just read through it again. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, right before this, and, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because Rich has just dealt with this passage prior uh, very, very well. If you haven't heard that message, again, gracecity.ca, go and check it out. It's a really, really encouraging message. Uh, but right before this, we have Christ's baptism. And Christ's baptism can kind of be seen as like a crowning service. This is the moment where God opens up the heavens and speaks down and says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the one I've sent. This is the King that I've sent to rescue you. This is the Messiah, the promised one. And so it's a bit of a coronation service, a bit of a, a crowning service where God is saying, Here's the King. And his first act as king is to go out into the wilderness and hang out with wild beasts, starve himself for 40 days, and stand against Satan. It seems kind of strange. It's kind of a random thing to do. I mean, if I was, if I was made king, that's certainly not the first thing I'm doing. I'm probably, probably going to relax, get someone to feed me some grapes. That's because I'm a selfish person and I'm hungry. So... But the first thing Jesus does is he, he heads out into, into the wilderness and he faces the enemy. See, if the new king is to be a truly triumphant king, he must conquer Satan. He must overcome the enemy. And in doing so, he will demonstrate his power over Satan. See, can you imagine trusting a king who says, Hey, I'm greater than my enemy. I'm more powerful than so-and-so. I'm a better king, just trust me. And then, when the rubber hits the road, when the battle is imminent, he cowers, he hides. So his kingdom is being threatened, his people are being threatened, and he's hiding away from the enemy, saying, I, I can't face him because the truth will come out, I'm not great, I'm not stronger. Can you imagine serving a king like that? Thankfully, that's not my king. See, the first thing that my king does is stand against his enemy. The first thing that Jesus does as king is says, 
I am going to overthrow the enemy that stands against you. And it's not so much in our passage, but in Luke and in Matthew, we see very plainly he overcomes. He overcomes. He stands firmly without temptation. He doesn't give in. He defeats Satan's little ploys to keep him from being... (laughs) That's adorable. This is so wonderful. (laughs) He he defeats Satan's attempts to, to cause him to step away from the plan that God has for him. And why is this important? How does this prove that he's a good king for us? But the reality is that just as much as as Satan was Jesus' enemy, he's also your enemy. He's also my enemy. See, just as much as Satan stands against God, he also stands against us. See, since the beginning of of our species, the beginning of us as a people, Satan has wanted nothing more than our own demise. Right? The Bible says that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his only plan for us. That's a terrible king. And so this is good news because just as Christ has defeated Satan in the desert, He also stands against Satan today for us. We can trust just as He was victorious before, He will continue to be victorious today. And so in this first section, we see that Christ demonstrates His authority as a king by defeating His enemy. Like the next section, the preaching. Christ demonstrates His authority over sin. This is in verses 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is kind of a funny one. How many of you, how many of you when I say the words, repent and believe, have a positive image? How many of you see this as good news, just naturally? I mean, you don't have to be honest and tell me, because then everyone will know, and it could be awkward. But most of you probably have an image in your mind of something similar to, you know, some man standing on a soapbox, shouting, turn or burn, this kind of fire and brimstone preaching, repent, God hates you if you don't repent, repent. It's not typically viewed as good news. And why is that? Well, the problem is we don't have all the information. The problem is we don't have the big picture. You see, with with the full context, we could see Christ saying, Repent and believe in the gospel, the gospel of God, the good news of God. We could see that as the most wonderful message if we understand what He means. See, often what happens is so the world doesn't understand these messages and, and people don't understand this message of repent and so they push back against the instruction of God. Right? They say, oh, I don't want God to tell me what to do. God doesn't know what's better for me than I do. I know what I need. And so they push and they push and they push against any community that stands for biblical truth that says, actually guys, God has made everything and so I, I suspect He has a better idea of how we should be living our lives than, than I do. Like, I've been on this earth for 29 years. I know some things. I don't know everything. I don't, I don't, there's a lot that I don't know, to be completely honest. So, I'm not trustworthy, right? Like, I've heard an example of, of people being like rats in a maze. Now, that's a bit of a negative example, and I don't think any of you are rats, and I'm not calling you that. But the idea is, is simply that we're all running around in this maze called the world, and we're asking each other, 
How do I get out of here? How do I get out of here? Do you know? Do you know? But none of us have been to the end. We don't even know what the end is. How can you trust the advice of the other rats in the maze? Wouldn't it make a lot more sense to kind of look up and be like, Hey, scientist, you can see the start and the end. Where do I go? How do I get out of here? But we don't want to do that. Because that means that we have to acknowledge that we don't know how to get out of the maze. And we're not really prepared to do that. And that's why we view messages like repent and believe as negative. Because we, we're acknowledging, maybe my way is not the best way. Maybe my way isn't the way out. See, it's, earlier I talked about how my wife told me, don't eat the burgers. Because... And I saw, I saw her, her text to not eat burgers as a threat to my own satisfaction, right? I, you heard me. I said, well, she's crazy. She's crazy. I need McDoubles. I need them. i got to have them. And I saw that as a threat to what I needed. I knew what I needed. And I saw her instruction for me as getting in the way of that. See, Jesus telling us to repent and believe is similar to my wife saying, don't eat the greasy burger. See, it's not that she wants to rob me of joy. That's not, that's not what she's doing. If any of you have met my wife, that's really not her style. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman. It was that she wanted something greater for me. That's what she was trying to do. See, she was protecting me from settling. But I didn't believe that she had a better plan for me. See, the same is true for Jesus. He's not some mean, heart, heartless man saying, Get better and I'll accept you. It's not the message of repentance. It's not some mean, heartless king saying, if you perform a certain way, then I'll let you in my kingdom, but you've got to look good first. That's not the message of repentance. See, God here is he's, a, he's not some guy saying, turn or burn. He's a gracious king. He's a gracious king saying, stop fighting for crumbs at the table because I've prepared a feast for you. Like, if you want these crumbs, they're yours, but why? I've got something much greater for you over here. So the message of repentance is, is best understood in this instance as turn away from what's draining you. Turn away from what will not satisfy you. Turn away from the things that are keeping you from really enjoying me. And instead, embrace me. Embrace me. Embrace my kingdom because it's better for you. Not because I'm trying to control you, but because I know that it's better for you. And so, how then does Christ preaching repent and believe in the gospel demonstrate His authority over sin? Well, it's, it's really quite simple. See, God is a, a really holy God. He is completely holy. And we're not. Right? Raise your hand if you're holy. Apart from Christ, that is. Yeah. Surprise. What a shock. What a shock. The reality is, because God is holy, because He is completely light, because there is no darkness in Him, there is no sin in Him, He can't exist with us. There's this song, it's like a kid's song, it's being turned into a kid's book. But it's by a rapper, it's really strange. Uh, but it's called, it's the story of Penelope Judd. It's a, a kid who lived in a mud city full of other kids who lived in the mud city. And they're all dirty and they play in the mud all day long. And then one day she gets an invitation to join the king for a dinner. And she 
this bird sent as a messenger to help her get to the temple. And it's a really incredible song. It's a really incredible story. If you ever want to hear it, come see me afterwards and I'll give you, uh, I'll show you where you can find it. Because it's really encouraging as much as it is a kid's story. Um, but bottom line, she gets to the front door. She knocks on the door. And there's a guard at the door, and he's like, I'm sorry, you're covered in mud. There's no way the king will let you in here on these floors. No way. Can't happen. And then someone steps aside, peels the door open a little more, and says, no, 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 I've got something for her. Gives her a gown. She wears the gown. She get, gets to attend the feast. And she says, where did you get this robe? Like, this is the most beautiful robe I've ever seen. And he says, well, actually, it's, it's mine. See, this is, this is the problem. See, we're not getting into the kingdom of God the way we are. Christ has to make a way for us. And so Christ is demonstrating His authority over sin by saying, I have made a way. I can alleviate the consequence and damage of sin in your life and create a place for you at the table. So Christ has now demonstrated His power over Satan. He's demonstrated His power over sin. And finally, Christ is demonstrating His power over, the, over sinners and saints. And this is the calling, Christ ruling over sinners. So I'll read through this again. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, who were in the, the boat mending the nets. And immediately they called them. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. See, following the preaching of the good news, Jesus calls four men who would become his disciples. And in doing so, we see a picture of his rule over the people in his kingdom. So here's another question, and you guys are, are free to respond. How many of you want to be regarded as a servant? Anyone? Perfect. I was hoping somebody would raise their hand. You guys want to be servants? That's great. So uh, we meet here at 8.30 for setup. We mop the floors and everything like that. If you guys want to be regarded as servants, we would love your help. Because we can certainly use it. So 8.30, guys. Everyone who raised their hands. We all saw, right? Reality is pretty naturally most of us, uh, apart from a work of Jesus in our lives, don't want to be regarded in ser as servants. The, re the reason for that is because we'd rather be regarded as kings and queens. We want to be regarded as rulers. We want to believe that we are in charge of our own destiny and that we have the best plan for our life. But we don't. Sorry to break it to you. The Bible is pretty clear. We don't have the best plan for our life. We need help. So nobody wants to be regarded as a servant. But it gets even worse. See, more to the point, no one really wants God. I don't want God. In my natural reality, in my flesh, I don't want God. Because if God is real, if Jesus is king, then I'm not. And I have to surrender. And I'm no longer in charge. And I don't like that. I don't like anybody threatening my power over my own life and my own destiny. See, the Bible's pretty clear. We'd rather our sin. Right? Everybody's heard the story of uh, the prodigal son. Right? And he's eating the slop of pigs by the end of the story. And still refusing at this point to go home. See, we'd rather the slop of pigs than, than the feast that Christ is offering us. Now I have some sort of good news. It's not because we're crazy. 
It's not because we're completely foolish or too dumb to make the right choice. So the Bible teaches us it's that we don't understand. The Bible teaches us that we can't understand. Right? It will take a miracle for me to see God and His kingdom as more valuable than mine. And taking it one step further, the Bible teaches us that no one comes to the Father but those who are drawn by the Spirit. You see, to take a step towards God requires grace. So we, every step towards God that we take puts us further in debt. It, it, we needed more grace to get there and more grace to get there. So I'll expand on this in a moment, but what I'm, what I'm trying to demonstrate is that Jesus has shown His authority over sinners and saints by taking people who would rather be kings and causing them to enjoy being servants in His kingdom. So Mark has, has answered pretty concisely for us, Jesus is king. I mean, we can wrap this whole series up. We can just call it, this is it, we're done. If Jesus Connor king, he's king, we're done. Let's, let's go for lunch, let's have a coffee. No, I'm, I'm kidding. There's lots more to go through. But really though, Mark is set to make clear, to prove beyond any doubt that Jesus is the king. And whether we want it or not, he's reigning. He is reigning. And this is the challenge. You see, we all belong to a kingdom. And our kingdoms are perpetually at war with one another. Here's how it breaks down. First kingdom we belong to is the kingdom of self. That's the first kingdom. And in this kingdom, you're king or queen. And everybody and everything exists to serve you, to make you happy, to bring you joy. That sounds pretty good. But here's the problem. You're the only one who sees it that way. Nobody else is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am a peasant in Kayla's kingdom. Yeah, she's, yeah that's how it works. So, so clearly there's a conflict here. My kingdom of self is at war with your kingdom of self and your kingdom of self. And so that leads to inevitable frustration and disappointment. Not always getting things the way that I want them. Not always getting my way. The next layer of war among kingdoms is the kingdom of self versus the kingdom, the kingdom of Satan. See, the Bible tells us in John 12 that Satan is the ruler of this world. In 2 Corinthians 4, we learn that Satan is the god of this world. Earlier, I talked about sin and its reality of keeping us from, from heaven, keeping us from enjoying Christ, keeping us from Christ Himself. See, Satan has used this device, sin, to tempt us into sin, to distract us from true joy, from real, abundant life. He's enslaved us for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So here's our kingdoms. My kingdom's at war with your kingdom, and my kingdom's at war with Satan's kingdom. And I'm losing both of those wars. This is the big picture that I talked about. This is the missing information. The kingdom of self and the kingdom of Satan that grants us sin are entirely incapable of satisfying us. The kingdom of self, kingdom of Satan cannot give us what we need. They're completely incapable of satisfying us. They can't heal our brokenness. They can't grant us peace. They can't calm our fears. They can't. So we're stuck. We're trapped. We're completely enslaved to sin and persecuted by an enemy that's far more powerful than we are. So what do we do? Well, this is why Christ saying, repent and believe the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, is such great news. 
See, we no longer have to suffer in our own kingdom of self and be disappointed. We no longer have to suffer as a slave to the kingdom of Satan because there is a new king and a new kingdom that can completely and truly satisfy us. See, Christ defeating sin has made it possible for us to enjoy Him. In these verses, we're seeing not only that Christ has made a way for us to, to get to Christ, to be saved, but more so that He's, he's loving enough to come down into our kingdom, right? He comes down into our messy kingdom, the city of mud, if you will, and carries our battle-worn bodies over the wall that sin has created, over the bridge that sin has created, and brings us into His kingdom. See, Jesus doesn't just make salvation an option. He doesn't just open the door and invite us and say, Hey, it's really warm in here. It's cold outside. Come on inside. Have some hot chocolate. He doesn't just invite us in. He carries us in because we're completely incapable. We're too weak. But He's done all of the work. And so when He says, Repent, believe, guys, reject your kingdom. It can't give you anything. But I have everything that you need. Please, embrace my kingdom. Because it's good for you. See, we have lots of reason to trust this king. And I'll start to wrap it up here. We have reason to trust this king because, one, he's clearly made a way for us. But two, we can trust the eternality of his kingdom. We can trust his authority, as we've seen. But we can trust the eternality of his kingdom. Does anybody know what, uh, what John is, is known as in the scripture? John the Baptist? It's like a voice crying out in the wilderness. But in our passage, we see that he's a voice crying out in the wilderness, silenced. He's captured. And soon after, we learn that he's beheaded. So this voice crying out in the wilderness is silenced. A, a deadly blow to the kingdom of God and its expansion. But then, just as one voice is silenced, four others are raised up. He calls these four disciples and says, Hi, reject your kingdom. Be a part of mine. Be a part of something so much bigger than yourself. We can trust His kingdom is eternal and we can trust Him as a good king. So the reality here, guys, is that day, these four men were given a call to follow Jesus. But that same call is being made today. That same call is being made today. So that same call was made to me to reject my kingdom of self, to throw away my hopes and plans because Christ's hopes and plan for me is better, is greater. The same call was made to Kayla. same call was made to Rich, to Matt, to Holly. same call is being made to all of us. And we have incredible opportunity to respond. And I'm encouraging you guys in this moment, please, Hear the cry to repent as good news. Hear the call to believe as good news. It's all been made possible because of Jesus. You see, every one of us is in desperate need of an escape from these two kingdoms. All of us. And we're completely hopeless. However, that's not the end of the story. The story goes on to say that Christ, the generous King, has come, and as I said, not only made a way for us to escape our kingdom that leads to death and destruction, 
disappointment and frustration. He's not only made a way, but He's come down and He's carried us out. He's carried us out. So this call is being made to you all today. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're a believer in this news or not, this call is being made to you. So in this moment, I'm just going to ask that we would all bow our heads and I'm going to pray. And this news is for every single person. As a believer, we need to be daily reminded that Christ's kingdom is more valuable than ours and that we stand to gain so much in following Him and forsaking ourselves and our plans in order to know and enjoy Christ. And as someone who's not yet placed their faith in Jesus, we have an opportunity to begin this adventure of living for something that's far bigger, far greater than our own lives. Attaching ourselves to something eternal, something that will not fade. And Father, I thank You so much for this grace. Father, I thank You so much for this gift. If you are, if you are ready in this moment with no one watching uh, to make a decision and say, I want to reestablish my life on Christ. Or for the first time in my life, I want to take this step of faith. I feel that, that God is calling on me. He's pulling on my heart and I need to surrender. I need to finally say, to put down my arms and say, God, I surrender. I no longer want to wage war against your kingdom. I can't win that fight. And it's not a fight worth fighting. I want Jesus. If that's you today, either one of those, if that's you today, I just encourage you to quickly pop your hand up and we can pray for you. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the grace of the good news. Thank you, Lord, for coming down into our kingdom and carrying us out. Thank you for being a generous king who's given us all that we could ever ask or think. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning to apply the truth of your good news to our lives, that we would know and love you more sincerely. Lord, you are a good God. I pray as we sing and as we finish out the service, that you would open our hearts to, to receive you more abundantly, more of Christ and less of us. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.